because they are easy, but because they are hard. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. A date which will live in infamy. I still have a dream. Good night and good luck. All right, we are live with Reed uh, Coverdale. Now, do you say Coverdale or do you say Coverdale? Coverdale. Coverdale. I figured it was because I heard I heard um, uh, somebody else say your name the correct way on your podcast before, but it didn't really make sense last night when I was doing um, Seed Ro- Rubberdale. You know, Rubberdale right. just kind of made more sense, so I didn't know if it applied to the, the hard consonant either. So <laughs> um, tell, tell, tell everybody a little bit about um, who you are, what your podcast is, and then um, we'll take it from there. Sure. Yeah. I'm a truck driver. I haul heavy equipment in the Western States. Um, and I have a podcast that I've been doing for a little over a year, started it in May of 2020. It's called the naturalist capitalist. And it's mostly about politics, um, from a libertarian perspective, but you know, we also talk about other things. We delve into philosophy a little bit, culture, religion. Uh, I don't know. We, we kind of go a little bit of everywhere. But I've had kind of all the big names in the liberty movement over the last six months, and that's really attributed to my rise, and it's been really cool. And uh, getting to talk to people that I've been listening to for years that I thought I'd be lucky to ever meet face-to-face, and now I'm friends with them is kind of nuts. So it's uh, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, it's funny because um, I don't even know how I stumbled upon like the libertarian podcast scene. I think it was... Um... You know, I actually do remember it was Dave Smith. Uh, uh-huh. He posts he posted um, some tweet number of weeks ago, maybe even over, over a month ago now, where he's like, "Hey, here are the, here are the Liberty podcasts everybody needs to follow." And I think you were tagged, and um, uh, uh, Clint was tagged as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I just followed you guys, reached out to start doing podcasts. So I kind of wound up doing these like libertarian podcasts, even though I'm not a libertarian, <laughs> right. which is fine because you know I'm I've got very similar ideas to li- libertarians, and I I can totally get along with libertarians. Um, but it's just, it's cool how, I think it's easy to forget how, how huge the world is and how many people there are and how many groups there are. And it's cool when you stumble upon like, um, this totally niche tight community. And I know that you guys have had some like internal turmoil, but it, you know, it's like family turmoil. It's still tight knit close. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't know. It's just, I, I feel like I discovered this kind of hidden treasure and I, I don't mean to say that in like a patronizing sense. Cause I know that libertarians are important and, and making an impact and growing. Uh, I think that you guys have a real role to play, it. <laughs> but those, it, you know, those are uh, nice words. I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we are, we are pretty irrelevant. I mean, we want to be relevant, but at this point, I mean, we are not the mainstream. We're not really a political force of any sort. So, you know, it's pretty hard to insult us uh, if we're dealing in reality. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, you you guys could totally change the political dynamic um, with your existing structure now, uh, in my opinion. If you ran a candidate for president and you focused all of the national funding for that candidate only on Texas, enough that the Republicans would not win Texas over the Democrats in the Electoral College, you could basically choose whether or not a Republican could be the president of the United States if you guys focused like that mm-hmm. now. And you know that's a, that's an incredibly threatening thing that you guys could use to leverage uh, Republican policy. You could say, "Listen, do you want us to endorse your candidate or not?" Because if you're not willing to do X, Y, and Z, then we're going to put all of our money only in Texas, and we're gonna we're gonna take the we're gonna make we're just gonna let the Democrats have it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> we don't really think in that Machiavellian way. I mean, we're so we're all we're, we're still obsessed about one day we can win. And it's not really strategic as far as what can we do right now to influence things in our direction? What type of political threats can we make or, you know, kind of what you're talking. We don't really think like that, which is unfortunate because we should be thinking. It's kind of a good thing, though, too. It's like part of the reason why you guys are good people. You know, like I tweeted earlier today, like, you know, by the time you get the power, you don't have enough time left to do enough good to make up for all the bad shit you had to do to get the power. (laughs) You know, so you have to, like, find that balance. Like, how much am I willing to do now? in the hopes that I remember who I actually want to be when I get the power and and do the good that I started the whole thing for, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of an oxymoron, you know, libertarian party. Uh, Libertarians don't believe in political power, but we've created a political party to try to win over the other parties. And the ultimate goal is dismantling the state, but trying to get from point A to point B without 
political power is kind of impossible. I mean, you need <laughs> you need to win an election, right? Uh, you have to beat the Democrats and Republicans. So it's we're just trying to figure out how that's done. What the, what does that mean? Is it actually about winning an election, or is it about changing one side to be better, or is it about changing the way that the population thinks so that they're not focused on elections the way they have been in the past? I don't know. We're just uh, we're in a midlife crisis and we're trying to figure out exactly what we're supposed to do, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, you know, and could you tell me a little bit about what the difference is between a libertarian and a, an anarchist? Because I, I'm finding it harder and harder to tell. I thought I knew a month ago, but it seems like you guys are all fucking anarchists. <laughs> I think, you know, a lot of us are. I, I think that libertarian and anarchist aren't mutually exclusive. I think it's like the square and the rectangle. So the libertarian is the, re- uh, the yeah, the rectangle, but then the, uh, the anarchist is the square. So an anarchist is still a libertarian, but not every libertarian is necessarily an anarchist. So there are, mm. uh, there are libertarians who are minarchists who just believe in a skeletal structure for the government, you know, so police, military, fire department, post office, whatever. Right. Uh, anarchists reject the entire idea of government, that it's coercive, it's violence, it's theft. So they think all of it is wrong. So the ultimate goal is to remove any of it that you can. The reason that I don't really find those two points of view conflicting is because we're so far from both of those goals. Right. That they're both There's on a the shared region. road before the fork. Yeah. And I don't really envision us ever reaching that fork, at least not in my lifetime. So I don't really care. As long as you want to diminish the state, we're on the same team, whether you believe in no government or a little government. Yeah. So um, ultimately, what's your sentiment then about what the regarding what the outcome is going to be? I mean, is it just going to continue for another century of you know, this libertarian movement existing, but Republicans and Democrats getting elected. Do you think that we're at a, in a political climate right now where something's going to change? Because traditionally we have had new parties every century that this nation's existed kind of come. So, you know, we're about due for another one. I think it depends on how the shakeup happens because I don't think we're going to remain the dominant superpower in the world for another hundred years. I think it's, I think the end of that is much nearer you know, China is projected to surpass our GDP by 2028, I think. Um, you know, we're so far spread and thin spread across the globe militarily. Uh, we're $30 trillion in debt. We're having a currency crisis. We're having inflation. Uh, you're having people who believe less and less in the political system. So it's not I don't think the next hundred years is going to be like the past hundred years. You know, I think that it really depends on how everything shakes out, how things fall together as far as if another party rises or if it just stays this two party system. And like you and I were talking about on my channel last night, uh, if it could be worse, you know, if we end up with well, one party system or, a, you know, a more authoritarian government. I don't really know. Um, I I guess my biggest hope is that this trajectory that people are losing faith in government continues and they finally decide, you know, we don't need this one giant federal government controlling all of these 50 states. Uh, at the very least, we should respect the 10th Amendment again and let the states govern themselves. I, w- I would like to see something like that happen. I think that some sort of balkanization or secession or breakup is the best solution that we could have going forward for peaceful, um, you know, a peaceful resolution to the problem now. Because I, I think if we keep getting more and more centralized, if the government keeps getting bigger and bigger, we're just going to hate each other more. And then you could push things to some sort of chaotic civil war scenario. Um, So I just think that getting people to think in the way of, okay, we don't need centralized control to keep us all in line. We need to be more independent. We need to be less in each other's lives and, you know, just let the government kind of sit back and let us run the show again. Uh, So I, you know, I think the best thing we can do is just talk about those ideas and try to change the way people think, because if 
people don't change the way they think. It doesn't matter what type of government policies you pass, because if you get rid of an authoritarian policy, but the public doesn't really care, then that can just sneak right back in again. You have to change the way the public perceives um, authority, perceives the government, um, perceives liberty, and that's how you win. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I do think one of the differences, and I think we briefly touched on this last night, was you know, this is one of this is sort of the first time in recorded history that we have civilizations that have incredibly secretive police departments and like the CIA and the FBI where there's not really a system of accountability for these organizations and they're right. they're flooded with money and resources and power at the same time. And so it's sort of inevitable that the intelligence community um at some point i don't know if like i said i don't know if it's next year or next century but it's it seems to me inevitable that they will be um an overwhelming power in the government to the point where the other branches and departments really can't they can't overcome it you know there'll be a veto power there and and part of the reason i wanted to bring that up is because i wanted to segue into how the hell do you know ryan dawson (laughs) (laughs) Well, I wanted to say just first of all that I, I think we're yeah. already there. Um, you know, I yeah. think CIA kind of does run everything anyway. I mean, they control both of the parties and they do stuff that is not necessarily sanctioned by Congress or the president. Even sometimes they're kind of their own deal. But uh, Ryan Dawson, um, I first found out about him in 2016 because I was a uh, I was a Rand Paul guy myself, and then he just mm-hmm. didn't do well. Um, and I couldn't get behind Trump. So I actually decided, you know what, I'm going to look at Bernie Sanders. I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, but you know, he sounds like he's kind of anti-war and pro-civil liberties. And then I came across one of Ryan Dawson's videos. It was called Bernie Sanders to the woodshed. And it just went through Bernie's voting history and he's terrible. Like, I mean, the, the reason libertarians or liberty-minded Republicans should hate him isn't because he's a radical socialist. It's actually because he's a warmongering corporatist who pretends to be a socialist. You know, he's voted for almost every military intervention. He just didn't like the Iraq war the way the Republicans wanted to do it. He did vote for the Iraqi Liberation Act in 1998, but then 2003, you know, he wanted a multilateral approach instead of a unilateral approach. He was for intervention in Libya and Syria uh, he voted to bomb Kosovo, and you know he. There were times he didn't show up to vote against the Kosovo. Patriot. Had it coming though, those assholes. <laughs> and then he, uh, uh, he he's been really bad on like bailouts, and especially this past year. I mean, he's voted for every corporate spending bill that just sends billions to corporations. So anyway, uh, Ryan Dawson completely opened my eyes to who the real Bernie Sanders was, and since then. Um, I just kind of watched him occasionally throughout 2017, 2018, whatever. And then in uh, 2019, I started watching him uh, more consistently. And then in 2020, my friend Eric Jackman actually got him on his show around 9-11 to talk about the 19th anniversary of 9-11. And so I messaged Eric and I was like, whoa, you had Ryan Dawson on your show. I would love to get him on mine. Uh, so I started talking to Ryan in October just through email. And then I talked to him on the phone and he still had his YouTube channel, which had 80,000 subscribers this time. I think uh, what did he get banned for, uh, he got banned for a video that's two years old called the Palestinian peace process. And they told him it was for hate speech. And they didn't point out which part of the video was hate speech. So he couldn't really make an appeal. Uh, but I couldn't get him on my show cause he was so busy. And then his YouTube got, band in january and so then his schedule opened up and then i had him on my show and you gotta hook me up with him man i'm dying to talk to that guy yeah i'll i will for sure and i mean now that his youtube channel is gone he's dying to get on anyone's show we'll have him on because it's hard for him to reach anyone alex jones has been making the circuit like that too it seems to be working for him where uh tonight he was on um uh a podcast live right before this and then uh he's he was on the andrew schultz podcast uh what's it called flagrant that's really funny Uh um and so I, I've noticed that some of these censored voices are getting away with making guest appearances on other uh, channels um, and YouTube seems to be okay with it. Yeah. I mean, they haven't come after me at all. And I mean, it, you know, Joe Rogan's had Alex Jones on. So, and then uh, who was it? Tim pool had a uh, Steve, Steve Bannon, Bannon on who's yeah. also, and I think so. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's a pretty easy loophole if you're not allowed well, to. 
the channel, just go on other people's channels. And, and Dawson's been, um, he's been like prolific, right? Hasn't he made like dozens of documentaries? And when I, yeah. when I say documentary, it's like, it's him and a bunch of news footage and articles and like a webcam and they'll be hours and hours and hours long. Yeah. <laughs> it's like insane. Um, the details that he gets into. Um, and so he, and he just keeps doing it. Like he can't stop. Is it like, what's the deal? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got an amazing brain. Um, I mean, yeah. if you watch any video with him, you can just name names and dates and, uh, operations and documents just off the top of his head. I mean, you could talk to him for eight hours and he wouldn't need notes, um, right. about the thing. He can just go and go and go, but yeah, he does compile, all these different documents and files that he finds and videos. And, uh, you know, he does, he does a lot of work on Epstein. He's done a lot of work on nine 11. He's done a lot of work on the Israeli Palestinian conflict and he can just go and go and go. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you watch one of his documentaries, it's not light material. I mean, every five minutes you've got to stop the video and kind of absorb what you just watched and then keep mm-hmm. going. And, and yeah, yeah like his uh, empire unmasked is five hours long. <laughs> so if you want to fully, um, you know, if you want to fully absorb that information, that's uh, quite a task. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that's great that, that, um, that he's done that. And I just, I think of him whenever now that I know who he is, whenever I, whenever I think about the deep state, because it, it seems to me that the amount of work you have to do to get to the bottom of what is really going on is insane. And since it's so insane, there's very few people who do it. And since there's very few people who do it, it makes those who do do it very unbelievable, you know? And so it's like, for me, I, like, I don't think the, I don't think that he's nuts or, or, or wrong or illogical or anything. I haven't looked into the stuff specifically, but I'm worried of like falling into the flat earth trap where, you know, I, I, I consume the wrong content for too long and then wind up with the wrong idea about the nature of reality, you know? And I, I don't know, like, how do you protect yourself against... Um, getting in like an echo chamber where you believe bad ideas. Cause I think, st- I think smart people believe stupid shit all the time. Oh yeah, I do too. Uh, something that he actually talks about a lot is, you know, the, the kook movements within the truth movements. So Alex mm-hmm. Jones is a kook, you know, I mean, he's not <laughs> a lot of the stuff that he talks about is crazy, you know, like lizard people and interdimensional demons and aliens and, you know, all this crap uh, or QAnon, things like that. I mean, the, the he actually thinks that they're designed to throw off the scent to sound so ridiculous that if you hear anything relating to 9-11 truth, you instantly think, oh, yeah, the buildings were demoed. You know, Building 7 was demoed. There were no planes that hit the buildings. They were holographs, you know, whatever, like that whole, mm-hmm. that whole craziness. Um, and so that in itself kind of makes you go crazy. If you start buying into that, if you, if you start saying, okay, the the mainstream isn't true. So everything that everybody else is saying must be true. That would be a mistake because obviously then you end up in some pretty ridiculous territory. So it's really about, it's really usually somewhere in the middle, you know, um, because what they'll do is they'll call you a, you know, they'll call you a believer or a denier. So take climate change. Like if you, if you Mm -hmm. don't buy 110% of the narrative about climate change that we have like at this point, what, nine or 10 years left to turn things around or the world's going to end. And they've been saying that for 30 years. Yeah. So if you don't agree with that, then you're saying, oh, there's no climate change. Nothing's getting warmer. You know, the environment's perfect. It's like, well, no, that's not what I said. I just said, I don't believe this narrative that you're pushing on me 110%. So it's really just trying to resist that false dichotomy of complete acceptance or complete rejection. The truth is always usually somewhere in between yeah well and and i think one of the problems too is that since we live in like this we're like in a we're like in a hyper character assassination sort of culture right now and i think that it has to do with the internet and social media so like in in a way that i don't think we've ever experienced before um people are behaving um with constant attention to their reputation almost on like an hour by hour basis rather than like a month by month basis like it might have been years ago right and i think that what that does is it makes people very reluctant to have nuanced conversation and change their positions or learn anything that would cause them to make any sort of like apparent shift because they're afraid that any change or shift 
may be perceived as like a hypocrisy or an ignorance or I don't know, just it, it's like a it's like a vulnerability where where they can get attacked. And um, I guess my concern is how do we how do we get to a place where people are able to actually change their minds and have debates again, you know, because don't you want like for, for me, for example, I've said this on the podcast before. It's like I don't I don't know if climate change is is man is caused by human beings or not. I, yeah. I don't know. I want to know. Right? Like, I don't care which answer is correct. I'm, I, I don't want it to be that it's happening. I don't want it to be that it's not happening. You know, I don't, I don't have a belief that I need to have reinforced. I just want to know what's actually going on. And it's very difficult for me as a thinking person to figure it out because I don't know what studies to look at. And then if you look at studies, like you have to like study how that study was funded by what department and who was running the department at the time and where did they go to get their alma mater and who was their mentor. And then this is why they believe in this form of, you know what I mean? There's like so many layers to it that it's really hard to get to the bottom of it. I mean, you talk to some scientists, they're like, yeah, the measuring devices that were used in the late 19th century and early 20th century weren't very accurate in determining the temperature. And a lot of times they were measuring temperature from uh, tar blacktop roads and that was radiating heat off the ground so it could have been exaggerating the temperature you know like there's there's all these variables that 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 raise questions about the legitimacy of the data that we have and like i just don't know like i don't find it hard to believe that we're having an impact but i also don't find it hard to believe that um you know that impact is greatly exaggerated so i don't know like how do we actually figure it out um i think that you know what you got to do is you got to have a philosophy that guides your decisions because i mean take it's good to have your mind change on certain subjects but if you ran for office say and then you get in there and then your views on everything suddenly change you know that that's not going to work or if you're always just flip-flopping all over the place and you have nothing guiding you that also doesn't work so i think you have to figure out what it is that grounds you and centers you and points you in a certain direction um and then that's going to guide a lot of your decision making but on circumstantial issues especially like is climate change man-made or um you know if you're if you're a libertarian who wants to figure out how you're going to roll back the state you know what should you prioritize you know because you could just be this autistic uh absolutist who's just saying like oh we just need to hack at everything no matter what or you could be someone who said well you know i don't think food stamps are the biggest issue right now i think if we ended the wars in the Middle East and stop giving billionaires money, you know, that would be a better strategy. Um, so I think what it comes down to is having something that kind of directs you, but then um, on an issue by issue basis, being willing to look at, um, you know, different evidence and have your mind changed about how you're supposed to deal with something. And that way you're going to stay pretty consistent, but you're obviously approaching the situation with a critical mind trying to figure out, the best way you can tackle it. Yeah. I think it's um, one of the things that I think is so ridiculous and so funny about our leadership now is like, if you watch C-SPAN and of course they have like their formal debates before they vote on any given piece of legislation and everybody has their two minutes or whatever it is to say their part. And it's just like all the same shit they've been tweeting or all the same shit they've been saying uh at, you know at press conferences or or in appearances on corporate media outlets it's like n- they waste all this time like three four hours before they actually do the vote saying shit that they that they know everyone in the room has already heard them say <laughs> and hearing what they've already heard from everyone else it's like not actually a debate where you know different ideas are being exchanged and they're bickering like you know sort of like in the british system where they scream at each right. other and i just i wish that the debates actually maybe and maybe the the debates do happen like behind closed doors and they just don't do that part on c-band right in order to save face i don't know but like it doesn't seem to me like there's actually anybody like sitting down in a friendly way having cigars and like saying all right let's get to the bottom of this what do you think what the fuck is really going on <laughs> you know yeah i mean justin amash's last year in office he I really started following his Twitter account closely and he would constantly talk about how none of the bills were debated on at all. It was all, um, you know, I forget what he was saying. I think since, uh, since Ryan was the speaker of the house, they got rid of adding amendments to bills. You couldn't debate to have an amendment added to a bill. So you just had to vote on the original content of the bill. You couldn't change it at all. Right. So why, you know, it just killed any productivity in the house. 
Um, and, you know, pretty much everyone would vote right along party lines. Um, and you'd have a few principled people who would, you know, um, diverge a little bit. But yeah, for the most part, man, they don't argue about anything. They don't care about anything. They're just there to make a scene and then all vote for the same stuff. And the funny thing is they're supposed to convince us that they're polar opposites. So they'll have a few hot button issues like gun control and border security and climate change legislation. And, and even though with those things, they don't actually, you know, push for very different laws. I mean, it, everything that gets passed is pretty much in the middle somewhere. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to war or spending or surveillance, they all rub elbows and vote the exact same way. Uh, and so all this mm-hmm. theater about being the right and the left opposing each other, trying to fight for the soul of America. It's all pretty much bullshit. There's just like four or five people in each party that are sort of principled sometimes. And it's like pro wrestling. It's like the yeah. fake, this, this fake feud. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really interesting. One of the things that really bothers me is like, you know, in the advertising world that you can't do false advertisement. Like you can't make claims that are just totally erroneous or you, you can't say a product's for one thing when it's actually for another. And when these bills are named like the Patriot Act or the COVID Relief Act or COVID yeah. Relief Bill, whatever they called it, it's like there was only like 5% of that bill that had anything to do with COVID Relief. Everything else was like foreign aid or, you know, the Patriot Act is like, it sounds like a great thing, you know, yeah. but it turns out like, you know, it just opened the door for domestic uh, surveillance. And so I, I wish that there was a law in place that um, didn't allow for the naming of legislation to uh, be a, a misleading reflection of what's actually in it. And, and maybe the solution is just to like eliminate earmarks so that you can't yeah. just throw r- random shit in the same bill. But um, I don't know. I think that's a major problem because the, the the issue with it is if, if it's the COVID relief fund or if it's the, you know, I love teachers act and you vote against it because it happens to like, expand guantanamo bay right, right. It, it, they can say oh you voted against teachers you're like that's not why i fucking voted against yeah. it you know <laughs> and so it's just like a real cheap shot to kind of like manip- to manipulate people into voting for legislation the legislation they don't actually support because they're worried about the pr backlash yeah it's like the you know we're going to name this the stop beheading grandmothers act you know mm-hmm. if you vote against that you're you're nuts it's like well i read the bill and it's actually just about giving more funding to the CIA and I don't want to do that. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but yeah, there, there's actually a bill that's been proposed called the one subject at a time act. And I think Rand Paul introduced it pretty much every year to the Senate. And then either Thomas Massey or Justin Amash would introduce it to the house every year. And I think Rand Paul would maybe get one or two co-sponsors. And then in the house, they were lucky if they got three or four. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, but that is the solution right there. You have, one subject at a time in each bill. So you can't be like, you know, oh, okay, well, we obviously need to fund the military this year. You can't vote no on this bill. So we're all going to, we're also going to throw in this, you know, 500 billion that's going to go toward windmills in Minnesota. And then, you know, we're going to add this 200 million that's going to go toward, you know, museums and Albuquerque or, you know, whatever. Um, you, You can't just throw that stuff on anymore so people would actually be voting yes or no on very straightforward subjects but of course they don't want to do that so you 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 reach the problem of getting something like that passed it's never going to happen right do you think um what do you think would happen if um the government was unable to pass a budget for an entire year Man, um, so you know we've had some issues, right? Where it's been like a month or two, and yeah. TSA is not getting paid, but the, you know they know that they're going to get compensated uh, you know, eventually. What if, what if, what if just for a year, Republicans were like, we're not, we're not gonna, we're not gonna vote for any budget that Biden would sign? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's an interesting idea. I've read that that actually isn't it isn't as good as we tend to think it is. We tend to think, hey, the government's shut down, but it's not really shut down. Like all the all right. the parts we hate about the government are still going. They yeah, just politicians up. still get played. They're yeah, paid, the, the military is still dropping bombs. The CIA is still doing all the stuff they do. It's just they close the national parks, basically. So, I mean, it's not the win that we think it is. But I don't know. Like, if they really did not approve a budget, I'm assuming that they're awesome. 
Yeah, I feel like they would just fund everything backdoor, you know, some other way. But I don't know. I don't know how they could though, because you can't even take out loans, can you? If you don't pass a budget, I don't know if you can. Maybe, maybe you can. Oh, you can. Yeah, I mean, you that's can. The, so you can sell bonds. Yeah, I mean, the Federal Reserve was doing all sorts of shit last year that wasn't voted for by Congress. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were they were buying muni- municipal bonds. They were buying like individual corporate bonds, and none of that was being voted on in Congress. That wasn't in the budget. You know, that well, was it's a private just, bank. Yeah, sort of <laughs> half. Private. It is. Yeah. It is private. I mean, the only the only federal aspect of it is that the uh, chairman is appointed. Yeah. But it's not like a, it's not a, like it's called the Federal Reserve. So it sounds like it's part of the federal government, but it is a, it is a private bank. They don't and have constitutionally, reserves. They don't have reserves. Yeah, they don't, not anymore. It yeah. doesn't really make any sense. Right. And they don't have any reserves anymore. And um, uh, constitutionally speaking, the, the, the government is only supposed to coin money using gold and silver. Right. And I, I you know, I think that's why the Federal Reserve is this private entity, it's a strategy for the government to be able to use fiat without violating the constitution. They basically outsource the constitutional violation. But our founding fathers were, I I believe, anti-fiat, just generally speaking, um, in terms of not backed currency is what I mean when I say fiat. And uh, it's funny, uh, you know, Andrew Jackson, who, so is he off the new $20 bill? I haven't even noticed. I feel like he's still on there. He's still on there. He's my boy. I love Andrew Jackson. But it's so funny because everyone was, freaking out that they were going to try to take him off. And I was like, Andrew Jackson would not want to be on the $20 bill. Andrew Jackson no, hated, he hated the banks. Even, even the idea of a certificate he hated, you know, he didn't want a federal reserve note. If it was backed by gold, he thought that was bullshit. So that's right. It's just kind of funny seeing everyone clutch their pearls about him possibly being taken off a bill that he definitely would never want to be on himself. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny how we get hung up on stupid shit. Like, we get hung up on, uh, for example, like the Confederate statues. Mm-hmm. It's like, look, if the, if some town has a city council that wants to remove a statue and they vote on it and they're elected by the community in that town, it's like, let them take their statue down. Like, yeah. you know, I don't know. And like, I, I personally would, would vote to keep these statues up because I, I appreciate the history. I think they're, I think they're pretty. Uh, there'd be, I think that in most cases they're beautiful works. Sometimes they're kind of shitty looking. It depends where you go, but, um, I think they're neat and I, and I don't think there's anything wrong with respecting brave men who disagreed, you know, and I know it's, that's a very controversial thing to say today because it's so obvious to us culturally how terrible racism is and how unjust slavery is. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't believe that you can define people by the worst things about them or you should. And just because these people were on the wrong side of history regarding race doesn't mean that they shouldn't be admired for, I don't know, taking a cannon to the leg to save somebody in a battle. Right. Or like they, yeah. they you know, they did things that were noble. People are complicated. And um, you know, if, so if a community wants to take them down, I'm fine with that. But I don't know. I just think like with things like, you know, are they going to put Harriet Tubman on the $20 bill instead of Andrew Jackson or they're taking these statues down? I'm like, you know what? Like, maybe we should be worried about other shit. Like, yeah. you know, our, our like corporate income tax going from 26% to 40%. Like, that would suck <laughs> a lot more than a statue I've never seen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you look throughout, I don't know, just your lifetime, um, you know, think of every time that there's some horrible scheme going on behind the scenes, what they use to distract us with. It's always something like Harriet Tubman going on the $20 bill or, you know, banning Dr. Seuss or satanic shoes or, you know, something like that. Uh, Colin Kaepernick kneeling at the Super Bowl. I mean, just who right. cares? You know, like that, that, that's the type of stuff that they try to get us all worked up about. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, it's uh, it's distracting us from actual problems. So sometimes they're related. You know, it's so, you know, we um, you know, we have people getting killed by the police. So what do we do? We get rid of uh, Aunt Jemima's syrup because it's racist. And then we don't do anything about qualified immunity or civil asset forfeiture or the militarization of the police or That's such a good point, man. You know, uh, no knock raids, nothing. Just absolutely. Yeah, we, nothing we acknowledge happens. the issue in like a completely neutered way. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're making social progress because we removed this 
offensive image from a syrup container. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. wow, I'm sure you mm -hmm. saved a lot of black people's lives doing that. Good job. It's right. Ridiculous. Oh, that's such that's such a good point. We always we never want to actually make the hard decisions necessary in order to solve difficult problems. Like, because the thing is, like, I I believe that most of our problems are, um, incredibly complicated. Uh, especially in the sense that solving them is painful, even if it's simple. What we need to do, it's still painful for like constituents. So, for example, you know, one thing that I've been really advocating recently, uh, particularly the last twelve months, is I don't think that we should be doing any business with China at all, um, as long as the CCP is in power. I think it's a global terrorist organization. I don't think that we should be funding it with our business. And uh, that would be an incredibly painful thing for us to stop doing, especially if we stop doing it instantly, because we don't produce anything here from a manufacturing standpoint, especially not to the extent that, China, that we rely on China for importing uh, our goods. And so, uh, you know, like, even if that, even if that solution is simple on paper, there's no way for a politician to possibly navigate actually making something like that happen uh, in the first place, especially not being able to stay in power if they accomplish it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I don't even think that is the solution. I think the solution is we got to change how we're doing things here in the United States. You know, I mean, we've become so complacent, so lazy, so overregulated, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot of work to get ourselves back on track. Uh, and there are problems that aren't within you know, your and my control. But at the same time, Americans as people have gotten very lazy and, um, you know, they, they don't want to they don't want to work anymore. They don't want to have to learn anything new. They want everything presented to them on a silver platter where your average Chinese citizen is a completely different type of person you know they're very motivated they're working very hard all the time um you know and um, same with like mexican immigrants who come here i've worked with mexican immigrants on they bust ass what's that they bust ass yeah i mean dude it's yeah. embarrassing uh you know this whole narrative that they're getting hired for two cents a day I mean, I was working at a roofing company where they were starting pay at $18 an hour and they couldn't get any Americans to come work. So, hey, there are these Mexican immigrants. We'll hire them, you know. Um, mm -hmm. so And they're sending lot, half their money back home. Yeah, a lot Dude. has got to change culturally in the United States for us to uh, have a fighting chance. And it's not just government policy. It's initiative and work ethic and determination because... We frankly just don't have any more, have any anymore. We've just become a consumerist society that wants everything created for us. Yeah, I agree with that. But I also think that that is a problem that is very quickly solved. So like, I, like an example would be, I don't know, there's countless movies where there's like a situation where, I don't know, maybe like a disaster happens and there's like one spoiled person and the whole first half of the movie, they're like unbearable to deal with because it's like, why are you being such a brat in this terrible situation? And then by the second half of the movie, they're actually, they like realize their woe, you know, and they start busting ass. So like a, one example of that would be uh, Lost, the TV series. I don't know if you ever watched that, but um, there, there was like the blonde girl that was sort of high maintenance and they crash on this island and she's like uh, tanning on this island while people are like <laughs> tending each other's wounds and trying to find food. And, uh, you know, by the end of the series, she totally changed. And my point is, I think that when things get really tough uh, in a real way that people feel, um, you know, the, there'll be like a little bit of outrage behavior, sort of like we've seen in the last 12 months. Uh, but I do think that people do eventually um you know sort of pull their pants up and get to work yeah within a single generation too i don't think it has to be like the next generation that has to fix it i think it can happen because like i mean they went from the 20s to the 30s right with the great depression like I, everybody was living living high in the 20s it was like the roaring 20s right and yeah. um you know then the economy crashed and you got people that are hopping on trains to find work from town to town and sleeping on in the hay you know yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a big change uh, so I don't know. I, I, I'm optimistic that Americans still have it in them, but I do think I agree with you that it's not it's not uh, presenting itself. I just I think it's dormant, though. I, I think that we are a sleeping giant. Yeah, I hope so, man. I mean, um, even though Generation Z is really, really dumb and aggravating and lazy, uh, you know, a lot of this blame goes on the baby boomers. <laughs> you know, they, they tend to be pretty judgmental toward the younger kids. But 
a lot of uh, the policies that they voted for and things that they did are why we are where we are. You know, I mean, the, the Department of Education came around um, from them, you know, the <laughs> the uh, the massive debt that we've gotten into, um, you know, college loans, getting people in tens of thousands of dollars of debt. I mean, it all started with the baby boomers and now they're the ones who are kind of sitting back judging everybody else for not pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. So it's not completely fair to just be like, wow, these kids all suck because they've been uh, brought into this world at a time when that was what was acceptable. And then, you know, they've got all these problems that they didn't really create that they have no idea how to deal with. Um, so I don't blame them a hundred percent or, you know, get angry at them necessarily, but at the same time, it's like, the baby boomers aren't going to get us out of this. <laughs> you know, it's going to be, it's going to be us. It's going to be the millennials, the Gen Z, Gen X. We're going to have to really, you know, come together and pull ourselves out of this. And it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Yeah. I, and I just feel like, I feel like maybe we haven't gotten to a point where we feel it enough yet. Like, obviously this past year was difficult for everyone from like a psychological point of view. Like there were so many drastic changes and rules but like nobody actually like lost their house or you know people lost their jobs i guess but the unemployment benefits were so steep that it, you know people right. were kind of able to weather the storm like i just feel like the kind of pain that we felt this past year was um a very easily surmountable like psychological pain not like a real sort of anxiety about how the hell am i going to feed my kid like people felt in the thirties, like people were actually worried about what my grandmother grew up in the depression in Kansas in the dust bowl. And she said that she was only allowed to wear shoes on Sunday to church so that she wouldn't wear them out. You know, like yeah. I can't imagine being that poor and her, her father had been a wealthy man with a townhome and a farm. And yeah. when the stock market crashed, they had to sell the townhouse and move out of Topeka into the farmhouse and live off of the farm for the first time. So they were like urban people that happened to have a farm and they actually had to go back to the farm and like raise chickens and do all that bullshit, you know? And I just feel like it's going to take, we're going to have to get to that point where people are like knocking on houses door to door, like, Hey, do you need any maintenance on your house? Like almost like a desperate level before um, there's like a real wake up and change. Because like, if you look at the third Reich, for example, um, if you look at what happened and how they came to power, the unemployment rate in Germany at that time was about 30%. Okay. Mm -hmm. And when you have an unemployment rate that high, it's not because the people suck. Okay. Right. So, you know, maybe that could explain 3% or 5% unemployment. You know, 5%, I think, is when you're kind of getting in the realm of, all right, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can really explain, like, maybe one out of 20 people don't have a job because of circumstances or whatever that's, you know, unrelated to the, to, uh, the, the environment. Right. Right. But when you have unemployment that's 30%, that means that you have people with average, high IQs, no mental illness, no drug addiction that are waking up every morning and looking all day for how they can be productive and not finding anything for, for months. Right. And we haven't seen that in America really since like the thirties. Okay. And and when things get that wonky where normal functioning, good people are not able to find any opportunity then they start identifying enemies, right? And right. obviously the Germans pinned it on the Jews. Uh, um, and I don't know who it's going to get pinned on in, in uh, the United States. You know, people say, oh, it's going to be the white privileged class. It's like, you know, it's always a minority, not necessarily racial minority, but it's always someone who's outnumbered, right? Like whatever wow. class. So I have a very hard time believing that 60% of the population, which is white, is going to be, you know, like sent into camps by 40% of the population. It's like maybe if we were 15% of the population, that kind of thing would happen, but it's going to be very interesting to see what enemy, who we blame when things get really bad uh, as a society. Cause it'll almost certainly be wrong who gets blamed, but like not totally wrong, but like too wrong for it to be justified. But whoever gets blamed is really going to get fucked. However, when you find a common enemy, it unites everyone else and it can be healthy. So like internally during World War II, Germany did quite well. Like the middle class improved. They were doing well until, you know, Hitler got a little bit too ambitious and decided to invade Russia in the winter instead of having a beer and collecting the interest. And um, uh, 
I, you know, I, I'm optimistic that great tragedy will bring great unity in this country. I'm just very worried about um, who's going to be falsely prosecuted as the culprit. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it seems like there's a pretty... Sorry that I ranted there. I just, you know... No, no, no it's fine. There, there does seem to be a really even split in this country. You know, I mean... The, the, or it, it seems to be in thirds, though, not really in half. I mean, it seems like there's a third of the people that don't really care. And then a third on each side hates the opposing side. And everyone in the middle is just kind of like, oh, my God, I don't really care. Just stop hating each other. Um, yeah. But you can't feed your kid. You don't give a fuck about whether or not CRT is yeah. in the school. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're Everybody's going to drop it on both sides. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I feel like the minorities that are... It's not really a minority on one side, I guess, but the the demographics that they're going after the the establishment left is demonizing Trump supporters, you know, and you know extreme Trump supporters or whatever adjective you want to put on it, as though they're domestic terrorists. That's where I've seen a lot of marginalization going on, and then where I saw it from the right establishment in the past has been with Mexican immigrants, you know, people who are here legally, but. Or, or who came here illegal, illegally and are working or whatever, like that, that was where I saw it from them. You know, in 2016, there was all this talk from the Republicans that really bugged me uh, about immigrants. And the reason it bugged me is the point you were just point, uh, making out there a little while ago that, um, you know, you're, you're blaming the wrong culprit. Mexican immigrants are not why our economy is in shambles. They're not why we're $30 trillion in debt. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a complete scapegoat, so it really bugged me. Well, that... and, and they're not taking the jobs that that native that Native Americans want to do, and I don't mean Native Americans as Indians, but I mean, right. I mean Native Americans as people who were born here, right? Yeah. So, like, like they're coming over here and they're busting their ass on roof on like on roofs. I can't remember the last time I saw a white dude working on a roof, right? right. And yeah. it's not because they can't get the job; it's because they don't want to. Like you said, they don't want to work for eighteen dollars an hour, so. Yeah, the, the, I think what I think everyone was afraid that the Mexicans were going to steal their jobs, and then they realized that the Mexicans were actually going to make their life less expensive because they're doing all the yeah. jobs that nobody wants to do. Yeah, so I mean that was a that that was one time where I really saw like uh, blatant demonization of a class mm -hmm. that didn't yes. deserve it. And lately, it's been with uh, you know Trump supporters that they're domestic terrorists and they're threatening our way of life. And I mean that's just absolutely ridiculous. So. I don't know if it'll be one of those groups. Uh, I don't know if it'll just be something completely different. I don't know if it'll be an even split and they are going to realize they don't even have to blame one demographic. You can just keep everybody hating each other and then you can just reap the benefits of it because no one's paying attention to the true culprit. I don't know how it's all going to play out. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, I, I didn't think that everything that's happened over the last year was ever going to happen. So I don't know, man, I'm, I'm done trying to predict the future as far as what political events are going to happen. I feel, I feel like it's a pretty open book and it just really depends on what mindsets people start taking on now, because um, yeah, I think uh, as you were pointing to with the third Reich hardship, it can lead to unity, but it, it also leads to extremity. You know, people start mm -hmm. turning to radicalism. Things. Yeah. Uh, that's why Bernie Sanders you know, even though I don't actually think he is a radical, his message was radical. And same with Trump. He didn't he wasn't a radical either, but his message was kind of radical when he ran for president. The reason people are turning to that type of stuff is because the establishment is radical, even though they're the center. Uh, what they stand for is endless wars, corporate bailouts, mass incarceration. And nobody wants that. They're like, OK, if this is moderate, I want either extreme. And so now you've got the fringe right and the fringe left and the establishment. And I think libertarianism is actually the real center. It's what most people should want. You know, I mean, the problem is they don't want it because people still hold so firmly onto control. They want to control other people or have someone controlling them. If they could let that go, they would realize that libertarianism is kind of the center because you're letting people live how they want. It's the only ideology that overlaps uh, right and left and allows for coexistence. But, uh, you know, we're a long way from people realizing that. So right now, the fight is to tell them like, hey, 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 you know, extremity isn't actually good. The problem is that what you've been told is moderate is actually extreme and ridiculous.
Yeah, I, man, I have, I have such mixed feelings about that because I agree with you that there's a lot of wisdom in moderation and that there's a lot of uh, irrational radicalization that's going on. Uh, but at the same extent, I'm an objectivist um, in the in the true sense of the term that I think, I think things are black and white even um, uh, in terms of policies. Like I think I think that you should have policies that are based off of a philosophy that's derived in reason, which is man's tool to perceive reality. Right. right. That this is how we perceive reality and everything that we do should be based on reason and what is real and objective and true so that we can have laws that uh, and policies in place that um, most uh, naturally harmonize or, or align with how shit actually works in the universe because that's like the only thing that that's the only way it's sustainable and just. And so when you have sort of like a, an objective foundation like that of print, like that principle, that objective fa foundational principle itself, then you can really start making arguments about policies in a way that you can't, if you're like a postmodernist subjectivist person who just sort of has like a, like an intuition or a whim about what they think is right. So for right. example, like, you know, intuitively, people are, are like, of course women should be able to get like an abortion. Like if she doesn't want to have a baby, she shouldn't have a baby. Like intuitively that makes sense. Like you can't see the baby yet. Like nobody's held the baby. You don't think yeah. of it as like a human being yet. Right. Like it, absolutely. That makes sense intuitively. But if you think about it and you're like, wait, like, all right, if we are born with inalienable rights, like when do we get those rights? Is it actually at the moment of birth? Is there some sort of theological insolment that occurs where the soul goes into the fetus, like the Catholics say after forty days, right? And yeah. and, and and if we're and if we believe in the separation of church and state, then do we just make an arbitrary timeline in order to determine where we're comfortable drawing the line? And like that's why it's complicated. And so um, I think things seem like they're that moderation is the key, or that gray areas are the key are, are the answer. But I often think that. Um, gray areas aren't really gray areas. They are just um, um, unsolved problems. You know, it's like a cluster of unsolved problems. And if we could just if we could just hash through it, we would get there. And uh, I guess what my ultimate point was is that maybe some things that seem radical aren't actually radical. They're just correct. And as a society, we are radically incorrect. You know what I mean? Like if you're if you're so off base. Then what you then what you actually need to do seems radical. Yeah, know? well, that, that's actually kind of what I was saying. Like yeah. the actual correct, uh, maybe I should just use a different word than moderate. But the actual correct answer is, um, you know, it seems radical, but it's not what the radical left or the radical right are pushing for. Their their ideas, I, I think, actually are radical and wrong. But what mm -hmm. the center the establishment center has presented as correct is also extremely wrong. So people will go looking to the right or the left when the solution really is right there. You know, there, there are some pretty obvious answers to these questions that nobody's entertaining uh, because they're just going for one of those three extremities, whatever the establishment's pushing or what the crazy right or crazy left are pushing. And I think the job of libertarians is to say, Hey, this really isn't that hard. You know, we should not be fighting all these wars. We shouldn't incarcerate people for something they put in their body. Um, you know, the police shouldn't be able to steal money from you without accusing you of a crime. The government shouldn't be able to seize property from you without a warrant, you know, just down the list. And if people basically all the shit that we already wrote down that we just don't follow anymore. Yeah, exactly. And if people actually hear it and think about it, it might make more sense to them, but they've been so propagandized with this idea of control that they either go for the establishment, which definitely believes in control. And then the crazy right and the crazy left also believe in control where I think yeah, so I wanted to ask you, what do you, what do you think it means to be radically right, right wing? So radically right wing at this point, I mean, cause these terms shift all the time, but Right. Extremely nationalist, extremely pro-law enforcement, extremely pro-military, um, extremely anti-immigration, anti-free trade, anti, um, you know, anti... When you, free, when you say free trade, do you mean uh, domestic free trade or do you mean international free trade? International, like, uh, you know, keep sanctions high on Cuba, keep 
sanctioning Iran, all that type of stuff. Um, you know, extreme cultural values uh, through legislation, like being against ending the war on drugs, uh, mm-hmm. being against uh, not so much gay marriage anymore. I feel like that's an issue that's just died. Dude, I, I had a dude on the podcast that was adamant about a constitutional amendment to make gay marriage illegal. Okay, so I mean, it definitely... I, I couldn't believe it. I hadn't heard anything like that in 15 years. <laughs> so I mean, I swear to God, I was like, "What? Are you serious? You're going to die on that hill?" And then, and then you've got people like Nick Fuentes. That's, that's pretty gay, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and then you've got people like uh, Nick Fuentes who are considered the radical right, but they're they deviate. Like, they're he's not very pro law enforcement. He's pretty anti-Israel. He's pretty anti-war. So I mean, it's weird. You don't really know where it's going to land, but Speaking of um, gay, do you think that Fuentes is a closet case? I don't think it's even not closet. That, not anymore. that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he. Yeah, I think he probably is. <laughs> I think it's kind of obvious. But yeah, does he know that, or is he in denial, or do you think that uh, he knows it? I have. I've not asked him, so I don't know. Maybe I'll we'll have to get him on the show. Have you ever talked to him? No, he blocked me on Twitter when he still had an account. Let's let's get him on the uh, on the Four Horsemen. Yeah, I would. Man, I would do that. I'd get canceled so hard, but I don't really care. I, I would love that. <laughs> Well, just don't host it on YouTube for one episode. Just do it like on a different platform for just one episode. Yeah, yeah or you just know? like I don't know on my alternate channel or something. I don't know. I could I could do I, we could figure something out. I, I actually yeah. have I have thought of that. That thought has crossed my mind that he'd be good for the four horsemen because I um, you know he's yeah. probably cool one on one. You know he does not like going. Ryan Dawson though. Ryan Dawson ate his lunch in the one debate they did. And uh, he, is that is that is that like can you find that anywhere that debate? You can find parts of it. I'll send you what's left of it there's like a 15 minute clip out of it and it's just embarrassing to watch but please um, do i would love to see that yeah <laughs> um but yeah i mean i would talk to anyone you know i would have people that i think are evil on my show like if billy crystal wanted to come on my show for some reason i'd have him on and i'd tell him what a piece of shit i think he is and you know all the stuff i disagree with him on or if aoc wanted to come on my show I don't care. Sure. I mean, as long as I think it could be an interesting conversation, then I would entertain it. I mean, if you're a nobody who I don't want to bring attention to because I think you're an idiot, then I'm not going to have you on my show. But pretty much any other scenario, I'd be I'd be interested in having a conversation. Yeah. Well, and I I think there's a big difference, too, between trying to talk to somebody who's just like fucking lying versus somebody you just you disagree with. So like one of the things I struggle with 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 AOC is I I tend to think that she's just making shit up because she knows it works for Instagram. Yeah, um, I, agree. I could be I could be totally off base about that, but that's just sort of my intuition about her. Uh, but I'd be happy to to debate somebody who like earnestly disagreed with me about um, tax rates. You know, so it, I don't know. It's just hard to tell these days. But what I think Ryan Dawson needs to do is I think he needs to um, sort of take like a Bill Hicks approach, where he tours and does stand up. <laughs> and he I swear to God, off, yeah. and all he does is just like walk right through all this shit and rant like he does because yeah. it is funny and it is true. And if he does it as a comic, they can't deplatform him. Right. Yeah. He actually gave me the hint of putting all those four horsemen episodes in the uh, comedy category on YouTube so that they're less likely to get removed. Did it that- work for him? Uh, no, <laughs> like, dude, he, he's been banned off of everything, everything. So like, they, I can't and, believe he got banned off Coinbase. What the fuck? Coinbase, AOL. Uh, can he have a bank account? Not in the United States. He has one bank account on an Indian reservation in the United States. But other than that, he can't use like any banks. Why? Did he just like <laughs> say anti, anti-Zionist stuff? anti-zionist like, stuff do you know what happened like specifically like was he dropping m-bombs like what the hell did he do no, i mean it's just been over the years it's happened on all sorts of different places but um the other thing is they'll have copycat accounts that will say really bad stuff purposefully oh and he gets pinned and then he gets pinned uh that happened pretty early on like um i forget it was on myspace or something i, I forget what account what uh social media platform it was but the people made like five different accounts that were the same picture and the id right. number was just like one number off and they would say obscene things and get them removed that way man that's terrible yeah well he's figured it out japan seems to love him huh <laughs> yeah um i'm sure he sticks out there quite a bit um but uh yeah i mean i i want to 
I want to get him over here uh, for some event. Like if, you know, this is what libertarians suck at. All their events are so boring. Like they should have um, all that remains because Phil Levant, he's a friend of mine. He's, uh, you know, he's the lead singer. He's a libertarian. Um, have, uh, what's his name there? Um, what's the other guy? Uh, Eric July, you know, like have him do a concert or something. Like have Ryan Dawson fly over from Japan and do some Dude. speech or Dude. something. We could do like the live Four Horsemen at some of it. I don't know. Just like make it interesting. Make people want to come. Make people laugh. We're just so crisp and dry and boring and rigid. We need our own Burning Man, dude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's Where, kind of what Porkfest is, but we need no, something. No, like bigger. with the bands and panels, though. So it's like South by Southwest meets Burning Man, and anybody can go, but you have to become a registered member of the party in order to be yeah. welcome. So <laughs> you, you, you have to be like a card-carrying member of the party to go. So everybody yeah. will join the party for a month or whatever to go. And then... <laughs> Uh, you waltz in, all the panels are going on, all the partying's going on. Um, that would be cool. And yeah. it would draw so much attention to the movement. You know, you have the stand-up comics go through. Like, that would be easy to organize, especially like in Texas or something where there's like so much open land that it would be easy to put together like a like a Woodstock type thing here. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, I mean. We should really do that. We should be doing stuff like that. Um, we could get the money to do that, no problem, dude. You know how people will throw down. You know how many entertainers would agree to do it for free? Oh yeah, and Joe Rogan, people like that would be all about this type of thing. Um, th- this is why I kind of like the Mises Caucus takeover thing because they're more into that type of messaging, more into that style. The old guard is just so boring and pearl clutching and idiotic and thinking that they're going to... Yeah, but you, we're libertarians. We don't need their permission, bro. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, things <laughs> are changing. I want to see more of those types of things being done and trying to actually appeal to the public that we're trying to convert to libertarianism, you know, try to be funny. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, if we had our own George Carlin, you know, who was a libertarian just out there you know, just eviscerating the warfare state and the... That could be Dawson. It could. Yeah, I know. I mean, that's, that's, the type of, that's the type of thing we need. Uh, we don't need more boring, old um, establishment types. We need young, energetic, exciting uh, zeitgeists who know what the people want to see and what they want to hear. We need to buy like the um like the plot that Waco was, uh, the Waco um, Branch <laughs> Davidians was on and yeah. do it there. We and we go. need to call it we need to call it Galt's Gulch, and it's like an <laughs> annual thing, right? Yeah. And um, oh, dude, it would be so awesome. And um, we could make it so that like when you walk into the event, you like deposit money, and you it's got like its own crypto just for the event that works, you know, like tokens. Yeah. Galt. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, yeah. So the whole thing is like this its own currency, sort of like Galt's Gulch was. But you could, oh, dude, it could be so cool, and it would be so easy to raise the money to do it. Um, oh man, yeah. I think that, I think that's what it is. I think that we need to just start doing like, like I said, like, like we were talking about earlier, like radical things, right? So, so the libertarian party is sort of in like a desperate, vulnerable place right now, right? With, there's a lot of internal turmoil that's happened, but there's a lot of good things that are happening too. And yeah. I feel like if some radical decisions were made with significant enough consensus, then some big outcomes could play out. So yeah. I don't know, like doing stuff like that would, would be just tremendous. And like we could do it in such a badass way that it's not just like one show or we could make it like a weekend or a week or I don't know. I just, I, yeah, I think events like that are, would, would be huge. We could live stream the whole thing for free. Oh, dude, it could be so cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, that would, uh, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, that, that, that's how cultural battles are won. You know, that's why we're, that's why we are where we are today because media has pushed a certain narrative. Uh, the left has been really good because they do a lot of those types of things. You know, they've got Hollywood, they've got, um, you know, a lot of the, um, a lot of the music festivals, like all that type of stuff. It's all culturally left. So we need to do the same thing. We need to start inserting libertarianism into the culture because I feel like we're so obsessed with legislation and we're not working on changing people's minds. And when I say culture, I don't mean right or left, because I don't think libertarianism culturally, culturally should be right or left. I think it should be a choice. What we need to get people to understand is that power corrupts and control is not a good thing. You don't need to control other people. You need to control yourself. Control yourself. Make yourself better. You know, that's the goal. So if we can somehow 
make that a popular message, that's how we win. And it's not a popular message right now. I mean, people think the exact opposite. So, Reed, where can everybody find you? You can find me at The Naturalist Capitalist on YouTube. Uh, and then on Twitter, I am Reed Coverdale. And Not I, Coverdale, Coverdale. I guess you can find me on Facebook. I'm, I'm The Naturalist Capitalist on Facebook. And then I'm also Reed Coverdale on Instagram. I don't do much there. Uh, and then also my uh, podcasts are up, uh, uploaded to Anchor probably a week after they come out on YouTube. I get them up there. Uh, so you can get the audio only version if that's your speed. But yeah, most importantly, subscribe to me on YouTube, follow me on Twitter. That's where you'll see me the most. And um, I've got some interesting interviews coming up. I'm actually going on Bridget Fetessy's show. I next saw week. that. Congratulations. So that'll be cool. And then I'm working on getting uh, Abby Martin on the show. Tulsi Gabbard is going to be coming on the show sometime soon. And um, let's see, Matt Kibbe. And maybe Peter Schiff. That one's still I'm still working on that one. But I'm uh, how'd you get in touch with uh, how'd you get in touch with Tulsi? Did you just DM her. Uh, I actually I campaigned for her on oh, that's right. Primary, so I already knew her. So I just got in touch with her through venues that I already had. Cool. I accidentally sent um, uh, Clint the uh, link to join the stream. He's like, "What is this for?" Oh, <laughs> I'm just like saying the wrong link. Sorry, bro. <laughs> but uh, thanks so much for coming on, man. It was a real joy to have you and um, we'll do it again sometime. I really love being on your show. You have a great podcast. It's super impressive what you've done and what you continue to do. And uh, I will continue to watch and follow. And uh, I hope that all my listeners will do the same and all your listeners will start following me. <laughs> so yeah, thanks, uh, thanks so much, man. I really do appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me.